From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic today is digital transformation. Most organizations have begun the journey to digitize their services and operations, and some are farther along than others in bringing disruption to the market. But how do you bring transformation to organizations that are in highly regulated, service-based industries where competitive differentiation requires innovation? Two words for you, internal transformation. My guest is Steve Day, the Chief Technology Officer of Enterprise Technology at National Australia Bank. This podcast is produced in partnership with Infosys Cobalt. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Laurel. It's a pleasure to be here. National Australia Bank, or NAB, is undergoing a significant digital transformation. Gartner recently found that IT executives see the talent shortage as the largest barrier to deploying emerging technologies, specifically cloud-based technologies. But NAB uses insourcing. Most listeners are familiar with outsourcing. What exactly is insourcing and how does it relate to outsourcing? Yeah, so I think it's, it's all in the name. Insourcing would be the exact opposite of, of outsourcing. And to give you a little bit of, of history, National Australia Bank, like many banks, decided to outsource a large part of its operations in the 1990s. We basically pushed all our operations and a, a large part of our development capability out to third parties um, with the intent of lowering costs and making our operations far more process-driven. Uh, and I think those two objectives were achieved, um, but we did have an unintended consequence. And the unintended consequence was we basically froze our operations in time. And that created um, a situation, you know, if you roll forward to uh, 2018, we realised that we were still operating like we are in the 1990s. We were very waterfall-driven. Our systems were highly process-driven, but in a very manual way. Um, and it took us a very long time to roll out new products and services that our customers really needed. So, you know, it was about at that time that we realised we needed to do something different. Um, we spoke with our outsourcers, of course, but to be honest, they weren't motivated to reduce our internal costs mm. and to help us become far more agile. They were, they were very happy for us to... Uh, to be paying them large amounts of money to do large amounts of work. So um, at that point, we decided to bring our capability back into the business. So Waterfall, being the, the opposite of Agile, right, you were finding that that was hindering your, your progress as a company, correct? It was. It really was hindering our progress. We were, we were very slow. It took us years to roll out new products and services. And we had some you know, some young financial services companies knocking on the door, startups and the like, that were agile, they were able to compete really quickly, and we needed to change. We needed to, to look uh, at a different way to, to roll out our products so that we could give customers what they're expecting. Now, many customers today are expecting an Amazon experience, a Google experience, a, a Meta experience, 
but we were still operating in the 1990s. And, and that's when we really pushed our culture. We, we stood back and we looked at it and we decided that our, our, our entire culture needed to change. And we did that by building a series of tech guilds. We built a cloud guild, a data guild, um, an insourcing framework. We built our NAB engineering foundation. And with a, with a goal of building a culture of innovation, of cloud, of agile, and being able to be able to deliver great products and services to our customers in a cost-effective but very safe way. And as part of that, you know, we started on our cloud migrations, and uh, that is really uh, moving at pace now. So insourcing seems to be working so far, but it didn't happen overnight, as you said. And even though 2018 wasn't that long ago, what was the journey like to first realize that you had to change the way you were working and then convince everyone to work in a very different way? Yeah, and we we did realize that it was... If we didn't get the culture embedded, that we would not be successful. Um, so building that capability and building the culture was number one on the list. And uh, it was it was five years ago. It feels like a very long time ago to me. Um, but, you know, we started that process. And through the Cloud Guild, we, uh, you mentioned that the numbers. We trained 7,000 people um, in cloud. Um, and 2,700 of those today are, are industry certified and working in our teams. So we've, we've made really good progress. We've actually moved a lot of the, the original teams that were a bit hesitant, a bit concerned about having to move to this whole new way of working. Um, and remember that our, our original teams didn't have a lot of tech skills. So to tell them that they were going to have to take on all of this technical accountability and operational tasks that had previously been handed to our outsourcers was daunting. And the only way we were going to overcome that was to build confidence. And, you know, we built confidence through education, through, you know, a lot of cultural work, a lot of un, a lot of explaining the strategy, a lot of explaining to people what good looked like in 2020 and, you know, how we were going to get to that place. NAP's proportion of apps on public cloud will move from one-third to about 80% by 2025. But security and regulatory compliance have been primary concerns for organizations and regulated industries like healthcare and financial services. How has NAB addressed these concerns in the cloud? Initially, there was a, you know, a lot of concern. People were not sure about whether cloud was resilient, whether it was secure whether it could meet the compliance requirements of our regulators, whether the board and our senior leadership team would be happy to take you know, such a, a large change to the way we did business. And we spent a lot of time. We actually um, flew the board over to meet with many of the companies in, in, in the Valley to give them an idea of what was going on. We did a huge education program through our own teams. We created a new thing called the Executive Guild so that middle management would have a, a great feel on what we were doing and, and, and why we were doing it. Um, and as part of that, we created um, a set of tools that would help us move safely. One of those was CAST, and that CAST is a framework that we use to migrate applications to cloud. Uh, it's Cloud Adoption Standards and Techniques is what it stands for. 
And it really covers all of the controls we use uh, and how we apply those controls in our environment to make sure that when we migrate applications to cloud, they are the absolute safest they can be. And it's, it's safe to say that when we built Cast, we actually did an uplift in our requirements. Um, and that enabled a lot of people to see that we were taking it very seriously and that it was a, actually quite a high bar to achieve this compliance. Uh, but we were willing to invest and we invested a lot in getting the applications to that level um, as we moved it across. Another thing we did was build compliance as code. Now, infrastructure as code, it's really what cloud is built on, um, allows you to then create compliance as code. So all of the checks and balances that used to be done by, you know, manually, people with, with, with checkboards, I used to say, um, are now being done in, in code themselves, right? And because they can, a server is no longer a, a piece of tin in the corner, it's an actual piece of um, code itself, a piece of software, you can run a lot of compliance on checks on that also from software. And a third thing that we did uh, really to give everyone a, a sense of comfort is we didn't pin the success of NAB to the success of any one cloud company. What we actually did is, is came up with a public multi-cloud strategy. And that meant that um, at least for all of our significant applications, we would run them on two different cloud providers. Now, that would be expensive if you uh, did every cloud in the most uh, robust way, which would be active-active across both clouds. So we actually created a, another framework, our multi-cloud framework, which was about categorizing each application across multi-dimensions um, and then assigning that, that workload to one of six multi-cloud treatments. Multi-cloud treatment one being basically no multi-cloud. It's a, an app for convenience. It doesn't really matter if that application goes away. We allow that to sit in one cloud all the way through to our most critical applications, which we insist on running active-active across both clouds. And in, in our case, that would be a MCT6. So given all of those frameworks, the tools and the focus that we put on that, I think we, we gave the organisation and the leadership of the organisation some confidence that what we were doing was the right move and that it would give us our ability to serve customers well while also remaining safe. How has cloud enabled innovation across NAB? I can see it in the teams and you've even upskilled executives to be comfortable with technology and, and what agile means and how you're going to change the way that things are done. But what else are you seeing that's just brought some kind of um, a particular efficiency? That is a particularly proud moment for you. Yeah, I think I think I would go back to that description I just gave you about infrastructure as code being an incredible mm -hmm. enabler of innovation. You know, I mentioned compliance as code, but there's also all kinds of operational innovation that you can perform when your infrastructure is actually software rather than hardware, just being able to replicate things very quickly. Uh, the fact that you can have as many development environments as you need to develop your applications quickly and efficiently because when you're finished with them, you just turn them off and stop paying for them. Um, the fact that we can move to serverless type applications now that don't actually require any infrastructure sitting below them and enable our application team to not have to interact with anyone and just get on and develop their, their applications. Um, things like grid computing, which 
create massive computing power for short bursts of time. So you pay a lot, but you only pay a lot for a very short amount of time. So you end up paying not very much at all. But to achieve massive things in predicting what the market's going to do um, at times of concern and things like that. Infrastructure aware apps, you know, some of the amazing things we're doing in cyber at the moment to understand um, cyber attacks, to be able to thwart them in, in a much more elegant way than we have in the past. Um, financial operations, which enable us to take control of the elasticity of that cloud environment. And all of those things sort of add up to this, you know, this platform of innovation that people can build things on that, that, that really create great innovation. And how does that turn into benefits for customers? Um, because user experience is always an important consideration when building out tech services. And as you mentioned, uh, customers certainly expect Google or Meta-like experiences. They want online, fast, convenient, anywhere they are on any device. Uh, so how, how is something like artificial intelligence at an ATM serving both the need for improved security and improved user experience? Mm, yeah, great question. Um, I think for improved security, fraud is a, is a great one. There are so many scams going on right now. And AI has really enabled us to be able to detect fraud and to work with our customers to prevent it in many cases where, you know, we're seeing patterns of um, fraudulent um, or the ways that, that, that fraudsters actually approach their victims and we're able to pick that up and and intervene in, in, in many cases. Um, operational predictions on, on things that are going to fail or, or, or break. Then things that are just better for customers like faster home loans, right? We have a, a large number of our home loans being uh, approved in under an hour now because the AI allows us um, to uh, to take calculated uh, risks, basically, uh, to do risk management in a really fast and efficient way. Um, and then there are just small things. There's some, some great stuff out there, like um, one that I really like is just, you know, if I get a check, I don't get many checks anymore, but occasionally I get one, I just take a picture of it out of my banking app onto the iPhone and it's instantly processed. You know, those sorts of things are, uh, you know, are, are really leading to just better customer experiences. That's my favorite as well. But a home loan under an hour that's pretty amazing. Mm, mm. And that's because, you know, we have a history of, of, of what that customer's done with us. No longer do uh, we have to have that customer fill in large surveys of what their monthly spending is and what, you know, what their salary is and all of that. We have all that data. We know all that about the customer and to have to ask them again is, is just silly, to be, to be frank. Um, we can take all that information and we can process it um, directly out of their account. All we need is the customer's permission to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, the open banking um, uh, legislation uh, and, and things that have come through at the moment that allow us to gain uh, access to information with the customer's permission through their other financial services, that also enables us to really have a good understanding of that customer's ability to meet their repayments. We also do a lot of AI on things like valuations. Um, the amount of AI going into valuing a property now is absolutely incredible. Um, for instance, you know, in, in, in the past, you've had to send somebody out to a house to do the valuation um, so that they can uh, appreciate things like road noise, right? How much road noise does that property have? 
what are the you know what are the aspects of that house and through being able to look at say google maps and see how many cars per hour are flowing past that house what the topology of the of the landscape is around that house we can actually do calculations and tell exactly what the road noise is at that property and we're able to use layers and layers and layers of information such as that you know and, and that goes along with is a house on a floodplain is a house overflown by aircraft is a house you know what material is is it made of we can pick all of that from from uh satellite imagery um does it have a swimming pool does it have solar panels da, 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 da. uh we can gather a lot of that and actually do the valuation on the property as well much faster than we have in the past and that enables us to then um, provide these really fast turnarounds on on things like home loans. That's amazing, and of course, all of that helps, you know, keep innovation up at the bank, but then also improve your own efficiencies. And you know, money making money is part of being a business. And if and then you put the money back into making better experiences for your customers. So it's sort of a win win for everyone. Mm, yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, I'm I haven't. Uh, loaned money for a house since all of that has been put into place, but I'm I'm really looking forward to to the next time I do uh, <laughs> and, and uh, having such a good experience. Collaborating with your customers is very important, but collaborating with your competitors could be as well. In one example, NAB teamed up with cloud providers and other global banks in an open digital finance challenge to prototype new banking services on a global scale. Why did NAB decide to do this? And what were some of the global financial challenges this initiative was looking to solve? Well, I think, you know, creating um, great partnerships to encourage innovation, I think, is the path forward. You know, like everything, we don't have a monopoly on great ideas. Um, and I think if we limited ourselves to the ideas we came up with, um, we wouldn't be serving our, our customers' best interests. So you know, searching globally for, for, for great ideas and then going through a process of looking to see whether they can actually be productionized is, is a great way of, of bringing innovation into the bank. You know, my, my favourite at the moment um, is uh, Project Carbon, which is seven banks around uh, the world all getting together uh, to create a secure uh, clearinghouse for, um, for voluntary carbon credits. Which you know, if you if you think about that and where the world's going and how important that will be going forward, it's just absolutely wonderful that you know we've got this this situation being built today. But yeah, uh, uh, there'll be you know things that create more secure payments, faster payments, more convenient payments, more resilient ledgers. Um, you know, and I mentioned faster home loans, etc. So um, just an exciting time to be in the industry. Yeah, and to be so open and, and willing to work with, with other folks as well. So what else are you excited about? Um, there's so much innovation happening at NAB and across the financial services industry. What are you seeing in the next three to five years? Uh, I'm, I'm seeing um, faster pace of change. So um, one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm aware of at the moment, things are changing so fast that it's really hard to predict what is going to come up in the near future. But one thing we know for sure is we will need a platform that enables us to pivot quickly to whatever that is. So um, I'm actually most uh, excited 
about the opportunity to build a platform that is incredibly agile and allows us to pivot and to move and to exploit some of these great ideas that are coming in from global partners or, you know, um, you know, internally or wherever these great ideas are coming from, you know, our new graduates come up with quite a few themselves. Uh, how do we get those uh, ideas to production really quickly in a safe way? And I think that is what really um, excites me is the opportunity to build such a platform. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the Business Lab. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Laurel. That was Steve Day, the Chief Technology Officer of Enterprise Technology at National Australia Bank, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the Director of Insights, the custom publishing division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And you can find us in print, on the web, and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Collective Next. Thanks for listening. <laughs>